The worst thing that an ancient Egyptian could do to his enemy was not only just kill him, but to destroy his body. You see, the Egyptians believed that a person had inside him a thing that was called a car. Uh, Christians would call the car the soul. But the ancient Egyptians believed that the car could only live if the body were preserved. And that's why they mummified the bodies of, of the dead, to preserve the body. Because if you wanted to have the car live, you had to preserve the body, you see. But if you really had it in for your enemy, not only would you kill him, but you'd destroy his body. Because once his body was destroyed, the car was eternally lost. And that's the reason that Tutmosis III murdered Hatshepsut and then destroyed her body. You see, we've got the, the bodies, the, the mummies of all the pharaohs of this period. I've seen them. I've seen, I've seen the mummies of Tutmosis III, Tutmosis II, Tutmosis I, Second uh, and Ray, the man who rose up against the Hyksos. We've got all the mummies of these Moses kings. But there is one mummy which is conspicuously missing, and that is the mummy of Pharaoh Queen Hatshepsut. And the reason he hated her, the reason Tutmosis III hated her and destroyed her body and then destroyed her, all of her inscriptions was because she was planning to put Moses on the throne. You know, when you come here to Egypt and when you see the inscriptions and when you read the Bible, the evidence for the Bible is overwhelming, my friend. I am personally convinced that the Bible is true. It is historically accurate. I believe in the Bible. I want you too to believe the Bible. Now the Bible tells the story how Moses had to flee, but the day came when God spoke to Moses and said, your job isn't finished, go back here to the land of Egypt, because my people are slaves here in the land of Egypt. And many of these great buildings, you know, were built by the Hebrews. They were built by slaves. And the Hebrews were slaves right here in the land of Egypt. And the day came when Moses came back to the land of Egypt and he looked old Pharaoh in the eye and he said, Tut Moses, my God says, let my people go. Hatshepsut had been dead for years. Now it was a confrontation between Moses and Tut Moses. And Tutmosis said, I'm not going to let these people go. I don't know the Lord. And the answer is no. And God sent upon this land ten dreadful plagues. And in the end, Tutmosis came to Moses and he said, let them go, let them go, let them go. But you know the story. As the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, Pharaoh repented of his repentance. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the Bible says God opened up the Red Sea. The children of Israel went through the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians poured in after them. Did you know, we know the very date when Tutmosis III died. He died prematurely too. He died March 17, 1450 BC. We know this because of the Egyptian inscriptions. March 17, 1450 BC, and that is the very time the Bible says the first Passover occurred here in the land of Egypt. That was the time when the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, went through the Red Sea, and God took them to the land of freedom.
you can believe the stories of the Bible. It's my great pleasure today to introduce to you two of my very special dear friends, Pam and Jimmy Rhodes from Tennessee. These dear friends are well known right across this great land of the United States of America, up into Canada. I first heard Pam and Jimmy presenting wonderful music back in Australia when somebody gave me this wonderful record entitled On the Wings of a Dove. Have you folks heard that record? Yes, yes you have. I see a lot of people nodding their heads. We're just honored today to have with us Pam and Jimmy Rhodes. Would you please welcome them today? Good to see you. You're walking down sunshine lane when the Lord walks with you. Your heart sings a sweet refrain, no time to be blue. Start wearing a happy smile, they're smiling too. You're walking down sunshine lane when the Lord walks with you. A cloudy day may come your way. The rain comes tumbling down, but don't you know the flowers will grow? When the Lord takes your hand Such joy that you can't contain The feeling is grand Start wearing a happy smile He's smiling too You're walking down sunshine lane When the Lord walks with you A cloudy day May come your way comes tumbling down but don't you know the flowers will grow and spread God's beauty all around you're walking down sunshine lane when the Lord takes your hand such joy that you can't contain the feeling is grand start wearing a smile he's smiling too you're walking down sunshine lane when the lord walks with you you're walking down sunshine lane when the lord walks with you you're walking down sunshine lane when the lord walks with you Today, I want to present to you seven great reasons why we believe in evangelism. Firstly, 
I would like to define the term evangelism because it is grossly misunderstood. The word for gospel in the Greek Bible, and that's the Bible that we use, of course, that's the original, is euangelion. It's the word gospel. What's the word? Euangelion. It means good tidings or good news. Now there's another word very similar to it. It's derived from it. Euangelizo. What is it? Euangelizo. And it means to announce good news. How could any person in their right mind be opposed to evangelism? Because evangelism is announcing the good news. Why evangelize? Seven great reasons. Once again, I want to announce the topic. This is the sermon the devil and his disciples, his servants, hate. The first reason why we believe in evangelism, why you ought to believe in evangelism, is because God commands it. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28 and verse 16 and onwards. Matthew 28 and verse 16 and onwards. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to say this to every person watching, those who are leaders of churches. Why is it that we have so many committees that talk for so long about things that are not important. Somehow we think there is some spiritual benefit to be derived from such sessions and these long committees, even though usually they're fruitless, make us feel that we're worthwhile and we should be paid. There are committees in the church that debate over evangelism. Should we evangelize? They actually debated, should we evangelize? It is almost blasphemy because Jesus said, do it. There is no question about it. God says, do it. There's no question. There is no debate. God says, do it. Some months ago, Dr. Rex Edwards, who is the vice president of Griggs University, wrote an article entitled, Odessa for God. He came with us to Odessa last year, was a part of the evangelistic team. Odessa for God, you would have seen the wonderful article published in that magnificent magazine called the Adventist Review. On the front page of the Adventist Review, there was a picture of a Russian church. And the article entitled was, 
Odessa for God. And then a well-meaning gentleman wrote a rebuttal and said, what is this article, Odessa for God? In so many words he said, what arrogance you people have to go to Ukraine to take them God. They have God. Don't you realize that they have God? How can you say Odessa for God? And so the article attempted to negate Dr. Rex Edwards' article on evangelism. Now, a friend of mine over there in Siberia heard about the article, read it, and replied to it, and he has sent this letter to our highly esteemed friend, Dr. William Johnson, who is the editor of the Adventist Review. But he also sent me a copy, which I received yesterday. I want to read it to you. To the Editor-General Review and Herald from Pastor Vadim Butov, President, President, NSC Mission, East Russian Union Mission, Euro-Asia Division. Now the person who wrote this article, a well-intentioned, a well-meaning man, lives not very far from us here in the city of Glendale. And so my friend, Pastor Butoff replies, Dear brothers and all readers, in this letter I would like to express the reaction of sad amazement that I and church members got after we read a note from Mr. Keim on January 8, 2004. In his message, Mr. Keim criticizes the article of Dr. Rex Edwards about the Carter Report crusade in Odessa and condemns the SDA evangelism in the orthodox countries of the former Soviet Union. I would like to state the gross error of this note without condemning the author, for he might have done so because of ignorance. Firstly, the former USSR countries like Russia and Ukraine are 70 to 80 percent atheistic. Secondly, the Russian and Ukrainian Orthodox churches have kept people in spiritual darkness for over a thousand years. Even today, you don't see or hear the Bible much in those organizations. I can say that as a former convinced Russian Orthodox Christian, only when I heard the merry tidings of Christ, I was freed from permanent and continuous sadness and feelings of guilt that I had from the legalistic message of a priest. It would shock Mr. Keim to know that the Russian Orthodox Church is one of the main importers of alcohol and cigarettes to our country. 
We love and respect many sincere Orthodox believers, but we also remember that the essence of Adventism is to preach the truth of the three angels' messages to all nations, tongues, and peoples. Thirdly, the atheists and Orthodox believers alike gladly and joyfully accept the gospel preached. The Carter Report Crusades brought hope to hundreds of thousands of former Soviets. Over 15,000 people were baptized during the past 13 years. Among those are thousands of happy former Orthodox Christians who got peace and joy in Christ and his truth. Dear Adventist worldwide believers, the so-called Orthodox countries of the former USSR need Jesus no less than pagans in Africa or Oceania. Moreover, it is the greatest lake for fishing for Jesus with millions of highly educated, intelligent people. Please pray that God's work will soon be finished in this part of the world. P.S. Mr. Keim is most welcome to come to Russia and gladly change his mind. <laughs> Let me say this to those who have got all the truth and all the knowledge, supposedly so, but no experience. I would challenge our critics in Glendale and other places who fight public evangelism, I would challenge them to raise a budget, buy some air tickets, and go to Russia and Ukraine and preach Christ instead of criticizing. That is my challenge to you. Accept the counsel of President Vadim Butov, go to Russia and Ukraine and escape from the hole of ignorance into which you have fallen. We face today a growing opposition to and hatred for evangelism in the church. But all those who oppose the preaching of God's gospel will surely perish. Because you are not fighting against men, you are fighting against God. That's the first reason God commands it. The other reasons flow naturally from the first reason and are contained in the bosom of the first reason. The second reason why we evangelism, we, why we believe in evangelism and do evangelism is because man without God is lost and in darkness. Amen. Would you please turn to Ephesians 2. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse 1. These are the words of the great evangelist St. Paul. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Man without Christ is dead and lost 
And if you come down to verse, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promised, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I want to say this to all of the skeptics and the, and the cynics. The Bible teaches that man without Christ in God is lost. And the only way you can be saved is through the blood of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. I personally speak from experience. I've heard the testimonies, not of a few cynics, but I've heard the testimonies of tens of thousands of atheists and orthodox who've come to me and they've said, we were in darkness, we were facing certain death, we were planning to commit suicide. And God sent you with Christ and we are saved and we have joy and we have peace. Let me tell everybody something here today. We live in a time of religious perversion. Where do I stand in the Christian church? In the mainstream. I believe in the Bible. I believe in the texts of the Bible. And the texts of the Bible are absolutely plain that man without God is lost and in darkness. We believe in evangelism for a third reason. We are saved by personally accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now I want to appeal to people in the church. You may be a member of the church but you've never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You're saying, I'm in the remnant church, I'm going to be saved. Many people who talk this way are going to go down into Christless graves. We are saved by personally coming as guilty sinners and confessing our sins and repenting of our sins and accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. You see, I believe what all the great preachers down through the ages believe. I am not, thanks be to God, a liberal. Would you come over here to Acts chapter 4? Acts chapter 4. And verse 8 and onwards, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, the rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Amen. Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't come to God except that you come through Jesus Christ. I am in a continual state of amazement. You know what is being debated today in our church? Whether Muslims could join our church and still stay, stay Muslims. One church leader said to Pastor Graham Bradford, we can prove all of our doctrines from the Quran. I just, I am staggered by this infidelity and unbelief and repudiation of scripture. I am confident that the church will never accept that. A radical garbage. There is no other name under heaven. You see, they say, we have the same God. Allah and God, they're the same. They have faith in Allah. We have faith in God. We're all going to be saved in the same way if we live up to the light we've got. That is a repudiation of the Protestant Reformation, but more than that, that is a repudiation of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Peter said, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way. The fourth reason. Now before I go to the fourth reason, I hear people say all the time, I'm a member of the remnant church. I am saved. Becoming a member of the remnant church doesn't save you. You are saved by coming as a sinner to the cross and saying, Lord, have mercy on my soul. And I personally accept Jesus as my own personal Savior. That is why we preach the gospel. Now there is a fourth reason. We believe in evangelism and do evangelism because of the resurrection. You say, why on earth? Because of the resurrection. Now, I'm going to read to you from an old book that I've had in my library for more than 40 years. Here is a magnificent statement from an unbeliever. Ingersoll. One of the world's greatest unbelievers. Fancy asking him to preach at your funeral. He preached at his brother's funeral. Listen to the exquisite words. The loved and loving brother, husband, father, friend died where manhood's morning almost touches noon and while the shadows still were falling towards the west. He had not passed on life's highway the stone that marks the highest point, but being weary for a moment lay down by the wayside, and using his burden for a pillow fell into that dreamless sleep that kisses down his eyelids still. While yet in love with life and raptured with the world, he passed to silence and pathetic dust. Yet, after all, it may be best 
just in the happiest, sunniest hour of all the voyage, while eager winds are kissing every sail to dash against the unseen rock, and in an instant hear the billows roar above a sunken ship. For whether in mid-sea, among the breakers of the farther shore, a wreck at last must mark the end of each and all. And every life, no matter if it's every hour, is rich with love, and every moment jeweled with joy, will at its close become a tragedy as sad and deep and dark as can be woven of the warp and woof of mystery and death. Life is a narrow veil between the cold and barren peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain to look beyond the heights. We cry aloud, and the only answer is the echo of our wailing cry. From the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead, there comes no word. But... In the night of death, hope sees a star and listening love can hear the rustle of a wing. Even in the depths of the cynic's absolute despair, when from the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead there came no word, somehow he can hear the rustle of a wing. Because in the soul of every person, there's a belief that there's more. From the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead, there comes no word. But hope sees a star. Listening love can hear the rustle of a wing. Ingersoll, one of the world's greatest minds. He became an agnostic, a skeptic, because of pharisaical, self-righteous church members. But even in the midst of his despair, he could hear the rustle of a wing. There are no true atheists, especially in a foxhole, Our Lord Jesus, at the death of his friend Lazarus, spoke to one of the sisters. She said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give it to you. Then Jesus said, your brother will rise again. He said, I know that he will rise again at the last day. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall live. And he who believes in me shall never die. The time will come after the resurrection when those people who are, in the words of Jesus, are counted worthy, will never die. Never, never die. A man without this hope, a man without this hope is no better than a dog. 
or some other beast. You can have all the money in the world, uh, but if you don't have Christ and everlasting life, then you're no better than an animal. We evangelize to bring people hope. We do evangelism because we believe in the resurrection. I'm glad to know that my church, the Adventist church, is starting up a new television outlet. It's called Hope. The purpose we exist is to bring hope to people. We do evangelism. We believe in evangelism because we want to give people hope. Without Jesus, there is no life beyond the grave. Because of his resurrection, think of these words. Jesus has formed, transformed every tomb, every grave into a shrine of hope and life. So that when you go to the tomb of a loved one, you do, do, do not need to go there and pray with despair because that tomb has become a shrine of hope. The fifth reason that we do evangelism is because of liberty. Americans like to believe that they believe in liberty. Liberty comes from Christ. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. Let me tell you folks here, none of us sitting here know how well off we are, especially the women. On Tuesday, or was it Thursday, when I stayed home, I watched a documentary on Turkey, which is trying to reform the dreadful situation that exists over there. It told about a girl of 16 who was raped. Girl of 16 raped. Her brother was ordered by the Muslim clan to murder her. The brother was 17, so he murdered his sister because she disgraced the family because she had the audacity to be raped. In Africa, they still practice the mutilation of millions of girls. The preaching of the gospel of, of Jesus elevates and uh, liberates. Nowhere are women so free as where the gospel is preached. Amen. If you don't believe it, try Saudi Arabia. Try Sudan. Did you know that in the Sudan south of Egypt, in the Sudan, in Africa, there are more slaves today than at the height of the slave trade. Why do not the leaders in America speak about this unspeakable blasphemy? The black Muslims have millions of black Christians as slaves. And you have the audacity to tell me that Christ doesn't make a difference? 
There are Christian organizations in America that are buying back the black Christian slaves, $100 a head. And they've been criticized in this country for doing so. It has been said, you should leave them as they are. That's what liberals have said in politics too. Jesus brings liberty. What are the countries that have religious liberty? The countries that believe in Christ. What are the countries that have slaves? The countries that hate Christ. There was an article in Time magazine discussing this wonderful movie, The Passion of the Christ. It talks about how there are some people who are saying it is anti-Semitic. One orthodox rabbi in Time magazine wrote a reply. He said, God forbid that the time should ever come when America is no longer Christian because then the Jews in America would be persecuted. Amen. He said, the reason that Israel exists is because of Christian America. And take Christ out of this country and there would be no churches. And maybe there would be slavery again. We evangelize because of liberty. Here is the sixth reason. We evangelize because of prosperity. Health, wealth, hygiene, and cleanliness. What I'm going to say to you is not meant to offend any person watching the program. This is now a worldwide telecast. We get letters from around the world. Don't get mad with me. Believe the truth. During my first trip around the world, I traveled for about four or five months. A different country every fourth or fifth day. I went to some countries. I can think of one city I went to in Asia. When I walked down the street, it had just rained. There were human feces piled this high. The main street. People were sleeping and eating and relieving themselves on the streets. And people say, don't take the gospel to those people. How dare you be so arrogant? This country is a democracy too. That persecutes Christians. I visited a country... This was years ago now, in Europe. I went out of the main city, caught a train. I said, I will go and I will look for myself. And when I got off the train and walked up the main street, the women were washing their clothes in the gutters. You know why? During the Protestant Reformation, the gospel was forbidden in that country. That is why. 
I discovered this, and I've said it around the world, and nobody disputes it. The cleanest countries, the best countries, the freest countries, the most prosperous countries are the countries where the gospel of Christ is proclaimed. USA News and World Report put out a map of the world. And that map was done in different colors, dark green being the most honest and red being the most dishonest, except some countries were so bad they could not even color them. The countries that accepted the preaching of Christ in the Protestant Reformation, everyone is green. Canada is dark green. America is a little less. I will not mention the others except to say they're blood red. The communist orthodox countries, blood red. Places in Africa, almost all of Africa, including the Sudan, are no color because they cannot register the dishonesty and the corruption. USA News and World Report put this out simply to show the places where businessmen ought to go. Russia is sinking down into the pit. The dean says, come soon. I said, can I go to Ekaterinburg? It's been closed. What about some? It is closed. They're harassing us. He says, they're probably even now listening to our phone call. Why do we evangelize? Because the gospel brings new life to nations. And there's a seventh reason. Because of the passion of the Christ. Because of the greatness of the price that was paid. Would you come to Matthew, over here to Isaiah? Please. The book of Isaiah. We'll start I think with chapter 52. And here is the great prophecy of the Christ. Isaiah 52. And I'm going to read it to you in a special translation, just so it'll sink down into your mind. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. Isaiah 52. You follow along in whatever Bible you've got. Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. Many were amazed when they saw him. Beaten and bloodied, so disfigured, one could scarcely know he was a person. In chapter 53, verse 3 and onwards, I read from this translation, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. 
We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. And after describing the passion of the Christ, that he went through intolerable suffering to purchase our redemption, it cost heaven so much. You read chapter 55 and verse 1, which is about evangelism. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. That's evangelism. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Is anyone thirsty? Come. There's a world, my friend, that is thirsty and that is hungry and only the wounds of Christ can bring salvation. Because of the passion of Christ, I believe in evangelism. Because he poured out his soul unto death, we are called to pour out our souls unto life. If you're the Christian who comes and sits in church and never reaches out to the lost, I ask you, what shall we say about you at your funeral? Shall we say, here was a man who lived a useless life of selfishness? Because he poured out his soul unto death, we're called to pour out our souls unto life in every way. On television. That's why we televise here. Sometimes with opposition. That's why we believe in 3ABN. That's why we're glad they're starting up this Hope Network. That's why we believe in radio evangelism, like the Voice of Prophecy and Lonnie Malashenko. That's why we believe in public evangelism, which is the most effective method of reaching the lost to Christ. We don't do it anymore too much because of laziness and because we love money too much. That is why we believe in small group ministry, in publishing books, inviting people to hear the gospel. Every person in this church ought to invite 10 new people every year to church. But some of you come along here to church and you're doing nothing for God. How can you live and so despise the wounds of Christ. Have you no heart? This is the sermon the devil and his assistants hate. He's got some assistance in high places. And I'll tell you why he hates it. Because evangelism empties hell and fills heaven. That's why he hates it. That's why there are people in the church who hate it. Because they work for the devil. He who does evangelism and makes evangelism possible by gifts, belongs to a special class of God's people, a special band of spiritual warriors. I would mention some of them, only just a few. Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, a man and his wife, Philip, who preached to the eunuch, Peter, John Wesley, what a man. George Whitfield, who would preach until he caught blood. These were men. Dwight L. Moody, the American evangelist. David Livingston, 
HMS Richards, Fadim Budoff, Alexander Antonuk, who's preaching right now there in Ukraine, couldn't preach if we didn't send him his wages or a budget. Helen Budoff, a doctor who's given up doctoring of bodies to doctor souls, running campaigns three or four a year. Jeff Radcliffe, the great Australian evangelist who put a fire in my soul, best preacher I've ever heard. Ron Helverson, Jim Gilly, who has blazed a trial in Ukraine. William Booth, who raised up the Salvation Army. Willie Jordan, who's doing a special series with me on television, who preaches Christ downtown Los Angeles where you and I wouldn't go because we don't want to get our feet dirty. Pam and Jim Rhodes, who go around the country preaching Christ in their music. The Bible says these people who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever and ever. That's why I believe in evangelism. Therefore, I will dedicate my life, my money, my reputation, my time, myself to evangelism the preaching of the good news. In the name of God, I call upon you to do the same. Amen. Amen. Let us kneel. Father, teach us today to know that the church of the living God is more than just a social club. It is not just a place where people come to be affirmed and told that they're wonderful, that we should do that. It's a place where we come to gather strength, to go out into an antagonistic world and church and preach the one true holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, as we look around the world today, as we look at the Sudan, and see millions of black Christians being held by black people as slaves, raped, murdered, we thank God that we live here in America. We thank God that the Pilgrim Fathers got to this country before some others. We thank God that this country was founded when people came from Great Britain, driven out of that great land because of religious persecution, and came to this land because they believed in Christ, because Christ is the author of freedom. We thank you for these blessings. Teach us, Lord, to be grateful. Lord, put a fire in our bellies. Put a fire in our souls. A fire that is lit at the cross where the Christ suffered 
the pangs of hell, was so disfigured that he was hardly recognizable, so that through his whippings we might be healed. Help us to know that evangelism is truly one beggar saying to another beggar, I have some bread and I want to share it with you. Dear Father, I cannot do this. I cannot get my people to do this because hearts are stubborn. But you can do this. Turn every person here into an evangelist. Speak to the hearts of church leaders. Turn them, Lord, into evangelists. Be with every pastor. Make every pastor an evangelist. Make us, Lord, obedient to your will. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. Forgive us for our sins. Wash us and make us clean. We thank you for the text of scripture that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanse us today, Lord. Stir our hearts. Bless the deem as he preaches alone in far off Siberia as Helen, who has just lost a baby, who goes out into some forsaken town and stands in a, in a hall filled with a thousand people. And this slim, sickly girl stands up and preaches Christ and baptizes people, even though they tell her over there, you've got no right to be doing this work, Helen. You're just a woman. We thank you that you can use women the same as you can use men. We thank you that you can ordain women as much as you can ordain men. Because as the poet said, Christ the Son of God hath sent me all the widespread lands, mine the mighty ordination of the nail-pierced hands. And if we have the ordination of the nail-pierced hands, who cares about a formal ordination anyhow? May every person in this church today receive the ordination of the nail-pierced hands in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.